Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. On today's episode, I have one of my longtime friends, actor Matt Bellows. Uh, Matt's been living out in Los Angeles since I believe 2009 is what he told us on this episode. And this is the first time I've seen Matt uh, in close to 15 years. So it was great to sit down and catch up with Matt. His career has just really been taking off, especially over the last several years. Uh, as he starred in BYU TV's Extinct, he's also had roles in Fuller House, Colony, Grimm, just to name a few. And yeah, it's been really exciting watching Matt just continue to excel as an actor here in Los Angeles. And yeah, I wanted to be able to sit down and catch up with him, find out what he's been up to. As I mentioned in the episode, Matt was the student body president when I was a sophomore uh, at Bingham High School in South Jordan, Utah. So yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're both out here in Los Angeles, you know, continuing to pursue careers in the entertainment industry. And yeah, it's, it's been a great time for both of us. And so it was fun to kind of sit down across from each other and, and catch up and find out, you know, exactly, you know, what makes Matt tick and what drives him as an actor. Uh, of course, Austin was also on this episode and it was fun kind of watching both Matt and Austin go back and forth since Austin, of course, is an actor as well. And, and you know, kind of hear both of their takes and how they both approach acting as a craft and, and as a career so it was really fun sitting down with Matt and you know I think you guys will really enjoy this episode especially everybody out in Salt Lake City anybody in our hometown of South Jordan I think you guys will really have fun hearing Matt and I catch up and, and reminisce about a little bit of the good old days uh, at Bingham High School uh, when uh, yeah, Matt, Matt didn't realize that I was a sophomore at the time that he was student body president because I, I didn't have a ton of friends so I kind of I kind of wandered about right when I got to high school and uh, and since I was on the football team, uh, we were doing we were doing a sales drive uh, for the for the minor card that we would sell that would give people discounts at local businesses. And it was a couple of the seniors that kind of helped me out and and kind of brought me under their wing to say when uh when when I first got there. And so that's kind of how I got to know Matt and some of the others uh, growing up and, and and going into into high school. And Matt was just always really cool and really kind and endearing. And so it was fun to sit down and and, and talk with him about some of those times. Don't forget, coming up on March 1st, we have our Best Picture Sketch Show over at the Nerdist Showroom at Meltdown. A little bit of a schedule update on that. So the time has moved from 9 p.m. to 7 p.m. So make sure to update that in your calendars. 7 p.m. March 1st at the Nerdist Showroom at Meltdown Comics. Uh, just to announce a couple of the guests that we have so far, Brooke Tranter uh, from Second City, and she's also been on the podcast as well. She will be joining us on that show. Caitlin Durante as well. Uh, who's been on the podcast. She's an incredible comedian. And I'm really excited to have both of them. We are locking down a few more comics as we speak that'll be in that show. Um, I know Alex Watson is going to be working on it with us. Alex is now an editor over at Fox. Um, he's been on the show. I've worked with Alex on a few films. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited about how this is all coming together. And you know, we're, we're just writing nonstop right now, getting our monologue ready, getting all nine of the sketches ready. I, I don't think I realized quite the undertaking this would be having to write nine sketches for this show, but it's all coming together and, and I'm really excited to be able to put this on for everybody on March 1st. Uh, so please, please be there. Uh, tickets are just $10 and I believe the, the link for the tickets is going up uh, this week at nerdmeltla.com. You'll be able to pick up your tickets there. Uh, so please get those. Uh, you know, pre-sales help us out a ton, so please get on there um, and, and, and pre-buy tickets so that we, we can kind of get a head count of how many people will be at the show. We would absolutely love you for that. Again, nerdmeltla.com um, is where you can buy those tickets. Thanks to Matt Bellows for taking the time to come over and, uh, and, and sit down and talk with Austin and I. Uh, he's in the middle of production right now, uh, shooting an episode of I'm Dying Up Here uh, on Showtime. It's a fantastic show if you have not checked that out. Uh, but yeah, we were able to squeeze him in, uh, you know, amongst his busy production schedule. So we were, again, we're really excited to have Matt on the podcast. 
Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for our episodes next week and throughout the rest of the month. We've got a lot of great guests coming. Enjoy this episode with Matt Bellows. physically every time remain still <laughs> fist pounding on the Brilliant table enough. you know all right we Probably. should we should be good it's actually rolling now so. all right bada bing but I, I do have to say it's been it's been literally at least two years that i've been wanting to have you on oh thanks and I, I kept like we'd come out here and i'd be like who do i know in la that we can get on i was like i know matt's out there and then i'd pull up your facebook and i'd see that you were filming something back in utah and i was like <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'll, I can hit up Matt when he gets back when I get back to Utah, and then you'd be back out here. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so it was always, it was always something I was like, I'll eventually have Matt on. Well, now's a better time anyway because more things have happened in the last year. I don't know what I would have talked about two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you've you've had you've had quite a lot going the on. The last couple it's, years have been good. Yeah. Yeah, it's de- it's definitely been an exciting time, especially seeing you pop up in all sorts of different different things with uh i know fuller house and then you that was just cool. you just finished extinct for byu tv yeah that was a that was a big big deal for us that were involved anyway yeah how long did you guys film it was probably like because well, we had some gaps in there because we shot the pilot and then we had to wake it picked up and we had like a month off and so in total it's probably like seven months of of a process but i mean i auditioned for it the first tape went out in like april of two years ago now so oh, wow two years ago so it wouldn't have been like because last year we were shooting already so the year before yeah. in april so like almost two and a two almost two years ago so like this april will be two years ago that the process began so it was a long haul yeah, yeah. <laughs> from from the first introduction to the the opportunity of the project and to finishing it's it. crazy how much time goes into into anything yeah and just anything getting film related take i off. mean it's <laughs> it's true just to get it done and and we shot summer of of 2000 gosh 16 through february of 2017 oh wow so we had well, we had like a month off in there between the pilot and episode two and then we had like some time off for christmas and thanksgiving was kind of mixed in there because mm. um so it was kind of spread out these big gotcha. gaps i'd be like back here for two weeks and then i'd be back in utah for a month and back <laughs> here for like a couple days yeah because i i actually uh i auditioned for for it and i i had i was called back for the nicholas character is that or no what's the uh, uh the, 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 the uh, yeah, young kid and I, I actually haven't watched the the show so what i know <laughs> the interview is over uh, <laughs> um, i've just seen like You're people who've posted about it yeah, yeah exactly i'm gonna be in the show i'm gonna watch <laughs> this shit yeah um it's funny as it came, it came down to th- uh the guy who, who got it actually wasn't uh at the callback uh the two other guys that were there, us three did a short film earlier that year. And so it was like, oh, hey, you know, like Morgan. And then uh, who was it? What's his name? Alex. Yeah. And we were all there at the callback. And then uh, the girl that was there, I, I think, because it was kind of like all these things were playing off of her. And um, she they decided she looked too old. And so that made all of us as well no old not, people not fit. yeah i know i'm, I'm looking at <laughs> ageist I'm, my, i'd say i think the you might be able to sue him now for ageism 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I hate ages. You, you no longer look high school like. And awesome. they could go back. And <laughs> <laughs> I do superimpose you into the series. <laughs> yeah. If you so yeah, like, uh, you filmed for or not filmed for about seven months, but it was about a seven month process from like the pilot, the little break. Yeah, and we were all, we were eight day episodes. The pilot was ten days, and each episode was eight days. And you know, we never really shot on Saturdays and Sundays most of the time, depending on like locations. Uh huh. Um. But it was BYU TV, so they never shot on Sunday. You know, I've never worked <laughs> on a production that has shot on a Sunday, whether it be Netflix, NBC, or whatever else. It's just a, yeah, really? it's a day off for yeah. the industry worldwide. So, um, but we did. The, one of the advantages of BYU TV is we did get solid. We didn't shoot over Thanksgiving. Not that anybody ever has. Like, I've never had that problem either. But yeah, it seems especially like during December. I mean, the whole city just goes on hiatus a silence for two weeks and so we got that too which was great so we had a solid two week holiday before we came back because once we came back in january we were back to back four episodes non-stop oh wow through the end of march and that was so a, just a straight like three straight months through. almost <laughs> yeah we had no through the end of february i guess so it was two months of just bam 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 Eight days, eight days, eight days, eight days. Locations, Jeez. locations, locations. So that yeah, was you guys, cool. You guys tore up Utah. You shot all the oh, way man, down we went south. And yeah, we were in Kanab. Like right now, last year, I was in Kanab in a weird hotel. <laughs> it wasn't a weird hotel. <laughs> it was fine. It was. It's like it's like at the top of uh, where you come out of Zion National Park at like the top of that old Highway 9 or 8 or 127. Uh-huh. I don't know what the highway is called. But uh, there's one hotel there, and we were there, and that was our base camp because we were shooting down all over the place around there. So that was a cool location. Yeah. But we were uh, pretty isolated. You know, it's just us. It's in the winter, so it's off season. So there's no tourists. Uh-huh. It's just us in the hotel and the staff of the hotel. It kind of lets you enjoy just being in that area that much more, too, when you're not filming. That's you don't true. have a million tourists kind of all swarming yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. And we took advantage of it in our days off. We go and design or explore a little bit. Nice. Yeah. So I. I mean, we kind of jumped ahead a little there, but I, well, I, I did, I did want to address the fact that I, I was thinking back on it, and I think it's probably been about thirteen years since we've actually seen each other. That's probably right. So yeah, I, I was going back through, and I was, I was talking to a, to our, one of our mutual friends, Swiss, oh. uh, <laughs> just last night, and and he was saying the same thing. He's like, yeah, I think it's been at least thirteen yeah. or so years. But he wanted me to remind you that when we were all in high school, that he had told you then that you were going to be in Hollywood <laughs> and you, you just kind of laughed and you just said, Oh, oh Swish, you're, you're, you're too kind. And he, he's like, I want you to remind him that I, that I told him so that. So what he's really looking for is a payout. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. That's exactly what he's, he's, he wants a cut. Yeah. You know. I see. He's like, Where is my 10%? <laughs> I'm not sure that he knows how this really works. <laughs> you can have 10%. That's fine. Sure. That's yeah, a big deal. But yeah, he, wa- he wanted to make sure that, that you knew that he, he'd called it all those years ago. <laughs> that's well, I appreciate the goodwill. It's funny, man. Time goes by so fast. You know? Yeah. I guess it's all relative, right? It it, it really does. I mean, it's for for those that don't know, Matt was my senior class president when I it's was. Not, I was the student body president. Student bro. body president. My my, my That body. was uh, yeah. senior class president was Shay Allen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You were student body president when I was a sophomore. Is that right? Yeah. You were a sophomore. I I lumped okay. around a lot of you guys because kind of blends together. Yeah. Yeah. But like. Uh, Justin Grundy? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Like he, he I was, can't remember a single person who was anything. Oh man, we had such a good <laughs> group of dudes. <laughs> it, like, yeah. We're still friends. We get together every Christmas. All those guys. Yeah, I, I've yeah. I've seen you post pictures here and there, and that's how I know what everybody else is doing. Is I'm just like, oh, that's what those people are doing now. Yeah. So they're, but I I had kind of got to know. It was my 
first like summer going towards Bingham, and I was on the football team, but I didn't know anybody. Yeah, woo! And Ju- Justin <laughs> Grundy was one of the seniors that was just like, "Hey, let me show you around," and it Aww. was just kind of like that sounds right. like Grundy. <laughs> He's a man, always the nicest dude. We were roommates in college for oh, really? a while too. Yeah, me and Justin. A lot of us were, but Justin and I spent our last year together in college. Nice. Where did Where did you go to school after? I went to BYU my first for college, and then uh, I went to graduate school at the uh, University of San Diego, the Old Globe in San Diego. Okay, oh, nice. Um, with a gap of like four years in between undergrad and grad school, trying to make it in the industry without <laughs> an MFA, um, which is harder than with one. For really, me, for sure. That was my experience. That's been my experience. I mean, some of that's because I think uh, I went to a really good school. You know, the Globe's constantly ranked very well. And uh, but I also think part of it is it besides the fact that that helps you like in the interconnectedness of the industry for people who know what the schools are. They're like, oh, sort of gives you a little bit of a stamp of like you. You might be a little bit, you know, it's a CV thing. But also it super intensifies your commitment to the thing that you're doing. because I think, I mean, I was 29 when I w- got into grad school. And so, like, I s- you sort of feel like you double down on the thing that you're doing, right? Like, yeah, totally. By it's that a- point, you're like, well, this is what I'm doing now. I'm putting another $100 on the, yeah. the side yeah. Or, you know, 100000 100, <laughs> It wasn't that much. But, uh, um, but you really, like, so you come out, at least I did. I feel like I came out of school with, like, a, an invigoration for the craft and for wanting to be successful in the industry that maybe I thought that I had before. But didn't by comparison. Yeah. Because you really feel like this is the thing that I'm doing. That solidified it. Yeah. I want it to work. It has to work. And I feel like I have the tools. If you do the math, you know, it's that whole Malcolm Gladwell thing. Grad school is about 10,000 hours of practice. Yeah. The thing you're doing. So you really come out being like, I know what I'm doing. And I want to do this. And so it helped a lot for me. It still does to this day. It's still something I tout. I just did, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's almost kind of surreal when you do get to that point where you start to realize, like, all right, this, like, this is it. This is what I have yeah. to, I have to do at this point because I'm that invested. And I think it was, I, I know for both Austin and I, it wasn't. We we'd made our made our web series, and I know I was kind of floating around. With, uh, do I want to want to act? I'm not really an actor. Uh, what do uh, I? And I remember Austin even was just like, focus on writing. Like that's like your key thing. It's focus on writing. It seems so, like that's just naturally what you gravitate yeah. to and what you are most passionate about, and and uh, and so yeah, that just made sense to me because like you perform, but not necessarily like uh, you're pursuing yeah. acting, but like things come about where it's like yeah, I need it for a sketch or for for whatever. I can play the fat guy in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I also think like the upper echelons of people I've known from UCB and Groundlings and stuff, a lot of them, I'd say probably the the lion's share come out to be writers because that training of of improvisation and the rules of the games and whatnot really lends well to creation of stories and ideas. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, that, uh, that's exactly what a it helps me. specific skill set. Um, whereas I also think that people that focus so intensely on improv, it can compromise their acting ability because you lose something when you're... I mean, it's, it's bandwidth, I think. Like, uh, the great improvisers can be great actors, but I think that that's r- more rare than, right. than it is the... The common factor. I think uh, it's Tarantino who said uh, everything he knows about writing he learned from from acting. Yeah, um, which totally makes sense. His dialogue is so actor like oriented. You know, he's not really focused about like we got to get like these visuals and 
popping here from there to locations. It's like, let's sit down at a table and talk for 10 minutes. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's a text-driven yeah, writer yeah. for sure. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I think changed for us. And that's what got me invested was after Austin and I came out here, people thought we were crazy. We literally drove down the week of Thanksgiving and... It was it was about it was the week of Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was, it was two days before Thanksgiving. So we came down, uh, did a and classic groundlings, and drove right back to Salt Lake. Where, so, did, like, so where did you spend Thanksgiving? Did you we, have we, we, got, we, we got back. Right? Yeah, we got back the day before Thanksgiving. So we left like the Monday the Monday morning. Had class Tuesday, and we're back on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you do that? <laughs> we, we we wanted to get our feet wet with something that was like from one of the strong improv communities and like leading up to that, we had bought UCB's book and we were studying through that. And then that's where it was just like so many things were just like, Oh, like yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And that's where, yeah, I, th- I think the writing aspect for me turned around and I was just like, Oh, all this improv stuff now makes sense to that. And it just, yeah, it, it made me become more invested. And I was like, all right, well, after I did second city, then I was just like, all right, well I've invested all this. Now I have to just dive in. And sure. I mean, at some point you got to commit, yeah, you know, um, it's easy to feel like you've got one foot in in and out of the door in this industry because it's it's frightening a little bit, um, but it doesn't serve you all that well. I mean, if it's the thing you really want to do, then I think you owe it to your soul to yeah really dive into the deep end and find out. Because if you sink or swim, if you sink, that's cool. Um, but at least you know. Yeah, and plenty of people do sink. Oh but yes, it's they a- do. <laughs> It, it, it's a matter of I think really. I'd just rather having sink the fight. than like be the person who's always going to think, man, I, I wish I would have. Yeah, I wish I, I would have th- seen what yeah, it was like. Just at least you know. Totally. Tried it out, you know. I, I think, think so many people are they're just that afraid of failing or looking stupid that it's, that's, yeah. it's crippling and it's like so what you went you, you tried acting didn't work out like who the hell cares move on with your life and you know I think people they're just afraid because there's so many bitter people in the world who didn't actually try what they really wanted to do and so they like to kind of bring others down who i guess maybe didn't succeed or something you know and it's kind of like a vicious you ever see that uh speech that jim carrey gave it was posted around facebook yeah. and all over the with that graduation speech where he talks about his dad who was an accountant yeah that, that's what i was just about to mention because he yeah. brought it up in the jim and andy documentary yeah too. yeah which was also awesome um but you know his dad was an accountant or whatever and uh he talks about how his dad could have been a great comedian but he became an accountant and worked like 30 years and then got laid off, didn't get his retirement, and they were like impoverished, and I think homeless for a little while yeah. or whatever. So Carrie's point was that like you can you can fail at doing the thing you don't want to do, so why not take a chance at the thing that you want? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a great way can, to put it. Out of your control, you can fail. Um, he t- did you see are you guys watching comedians in cars getting coffee? That's yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. And <laughs> so the first one was Jim Carrey on there. He talks about his dad on that getting in like a riffing battle in a good way, like a with a, a Rodney Dangerfield. And that uh, Rodney Dangerfield and his dad were like pals for years because his dad was apparently just so funny. Yeah. Which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. It, it, it's sad to hear those stories where it's like, yeah, you see people that, you know, they, they could have been great. And they, like, I, I've known musicians, like, for the years that I worked in music. And I, I would see bands that were just, like, so close to, like, just, they just needed to keep putting in that 10,000 hours. And then they'd be like, "Yeah, I don't want to do that. Now I, I need to do the safe thing." And I'm just like, "No yeah, way!" <laughs> it's hard, to, you know, because if that's what they, you know, you can't. There's no way to know, yeah. right? Like if, yeah. they, if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. Yeah. I think that's okay. I think 
If you don't want to do it, the thing about the entertainment industry is that if, if you're remotely unsure, you probably shouldn't do it. Very true. Because uh, I don't think there's anything more difficult to be successful in than maybe professional athletics. Um, only difference is we don't necessarily have an age limit on our industry, but by the time you're you know, yeah. 35 in the NFL, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, but there's uh, a total like a time restriction. Yeah, that, that like, the NFL you know, dancing. Yeah, like two years. To, yeah, oh yeah, gymnastics. Any of that the, stuff. Or, or dancing with the stars. Uh. <laughs> yeah, Tim, you'll, you'll, you'll get your shot. That. You'll get your shot. You will. That, that, just, that, that just seems what all the NFL players do I'll afterwards. That's true. <laughs> so it's Why like, not? Yeah, and they all go on to win. It seems like they they seem to win. The hips don't lie. Stars. It's yeah. true. <laughs> Indeed. So after you finished uh, grad school in San Diego, where, where did that kind of take you? I mean, you're you're fresh out of grad school. You're yeah, kind of getting your feet wet to like have to take this serious. Right. So I feel like at that point, especially where I went to school, I mean, you've been acting professionally. I, I had before. Like I was working in professional theater and stuff before I went to grad school. It wasn't like I just – I mean, a lot of people come right out of undergrad and go right into grad school, and I, I'm not making a judgment whether that's good or bad, but uh, – but for me, I spent four years out floundering in New York City and Los Angeles, realizing that grad school might be a good idea. And in that time, I booked work. I worked in professional theaters and mm-hmm. uh, joined the, the union and stuff. And uh, so by the time I – when you get the Old Globe, one of the things that's super cool about the program is that you're in class every day, but you're in rehearsal or in performance every night professionally. So there's not a time in that program that you're not – performing for audiences that have bought tickets mm. at real theaters, right? It's not like you're nothing wrong with community theater, but it's not that it's the real thing. It's one of the best theaters in the world. So by the time you get into school, you're like, I'm already doing this. It's not like now I'm doing this. You sort of feel like I'm yeah, already totally. doing this. This is what I'm doing. And so it's just, it's an easy jump. So we showcase like a lot of these programs do. We do a showcase in New York and a showcase in Los Angeles. I wasn't sure where I was going to go. I never lived in New York with, uh, equity membership, which is the stage union, um, or an MFA, because I'd just gotten it. When I was in New York after undergrad, I was in equity. I didn't understand how important that was. Um, I wish that I'd known, but I didn't. You know, it is what it is. So I wanted to go back there. I felt like I had better offers there. I felt like where I went to school would uh, carry more weight in New York City because of its theater connections to mm-hmm. various mm-hmm. Broadway artistic directors and stuff like that. Um, so I went there for the first, for like a year and a half. Um, and I didn't love it. Like, I booked a gig, like, my second week there, which was super cool. And I was like, this is going to be easy. Uh, <laughs> I booked a gig in a, at a regional theater called Triad Stage in Greensboro, North Carolina. and playing Matt Burke in Anna Christie, which is, uh, was and still is one of my favorite Eugene O'Neill plays. Not a lot of people know it because it's out of print. But, uh, but I knew it from undergrad for some reason. And it's this Irish sailor. It was a blast to do. But it was also, like, super miserable to do because I was in North Carolina and the show we, we did was great, but the paycheck was super shitty because um, it's like, you know, regional theater. And also you realize like nobody in New York knows that this is happening. Like I felt like by the time I got back to New York, I could have just written Matt Burke, Anna Christie tr- in Triad Stage and never having done the show, people would just have believed me. Because, <laughs> yeah. But I did the show, but it didn't seem to like matter all that much. Yeah. And I always really wanted to do film and television. I love the theater I do, but... Um, that's always been with the goal of, of, of camera work. And, uh, and I'd done yeah. some at that point. So I was frustrated with kind of how the, the, the New York City dynamic was. And you sort of realize that it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, you hear these totally. stories about, they're always the exception stories you hear. You know, Lupita booked uh, um, 
12 years a slave yeah, before, like, she graduated. Yeah, before she graduated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the little pieces of information they yeah. leave out of that is that like, she already knew the director before she was graduated school and before she booked it. And she's like royalty and famous in Africa. These are not things that are bad about her. But that you hear that like, oh my gosh, if you go to Yale, yeah, you're, you're just hearing like, oh, out of nowhere, they got yeah. this thing and, and it's, it's going to happen It's not you. true. There's a lot <laughs> yeah, of nuance to totally. that. Um, so you realize like, oh, this is going to take a while maybe for me i'm not going to be one of those guys that comes out of school because i didn't come out of school and book a pilot that went to series and there's a lot of reasons for that who knows exactly what they are and i just sort of decided that i didn't want to spend the journey in new york city like i love new york but new york to me is like a it's like a bad relationship but it's like super sexy where it's like she's really bad for me but i just i can't get enough yeah, i'm of so her. attracted yeah i love new york city but i hate her um and I just don't want that kind of a relationship right. in my life. <laughs> it's personal life. Or my myself. ex is a little... Uh... Yeah, so <laughs> my ex-girlfriend, New York City, we broke up. <laughs> and I moved back out west because I'd lived here for a year and a half before I went to graduate school. And uh, and I just dug in because uh, it's closer to home. You know, we're from Utah. And I like being able to get back home when I can. I like having a car. I just like the west coast life mm. a little bit more. It was totally personal i had nothing to do with professional it was probably logically easier for me to make a career for myself in new york but i was like eh, i'd rather be in la so yeah it's definitely a lot less stressful here than it is in in new york for me i mean i don't know it's by taste i guess because a lot of people yeah. i know are like i couldn't stand it like, i couldn't stand driving i want to take the train and i'm like man I, i'm very happy to be stuck in traffic versus waiting for a train yeah and and That's the traffic opinion. out here too you just you learn your way around a lot of yeah, it it's fine it's just yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. I've only been here a month, and I've I've not been super. I haven't been driving a ton, but uh, I've not been super overwhelmed by it. As far as like the hype that it's built up, I mean, it's traffic. It's for traffic, sure. but it's, I don't know. There's things that are more important than that. I think. Yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, it's like, like all the opportunities you, that you kind of just get start like here. re you know calc- you know changing your brain a little bit. Like no longer like oh I'll be there in 15 minutes. It's like I'll be there in 35. Or, yeah. You yeah. Know, you just kind of add a little bit of time. Yeah, it's to not it a big deal. I mean like what? It's like 83 degrees today and it's February. 1st. Oh, I ain't yeah. complaining. You know, <laughs> when I was in New York, this would have been like 20 degrees plus wind chill, and I was like, no, mm. f that. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. When when the Facebook memory popped up from Sundance last year, when I had to dig my car out. Oh, and I remember that. Like, it was like, like past like knee deep, and like seeing that, and I was like, yeah, it's eighty. It's super eighty five right that. now. Like, yeah, I always yeah, go totally. home for Christmas. Get, get and your I snow love fix, it. and then when January comes, because like we grew up in winter states, right? Like January, February, March are just kind of a bummer. Oh, they yeah. Are. Snow's like, fun up to Christmas, and then it's like the Februarys and Marches where you're like, I can't take. Yes, yeah, so there's nothing to look forward to after the Super Bowl. No, it's like it's over. It's just cold now, and. Even in high school, it feels that way. It's like it's just like you're just waiting for spring. Yeah, it's just like there's no dances to go to. There's no <laughs> football games. I never cared for basketball, so I just feel like being in LA for the winter is just better, man. Yeah, it, it's it's truly a, a great place to be for the winter. And I mean, it it had, it had come down to it for me even about a year and a half ago. LA had kind of always been the spot, mm-hmm. but things started to kind of open up for me in New York, and I was like. All right, well, I'll head back. It had been a while since I'd been there, and I was like, I'll I'll go and kind of look into some things. And yeah, it's like it, it's the same thing for me. Where it's like I love New York City. I could never in a million years see myself living there. I could do it if I was making like if you were making insane money and you could live like in the village or something. Yeah, I like to get a great place in Williamsburg, and then I could leave whenever I want. Yeah, right. But uh, yeah, the cost of living there. People talk about the cost of living here. 
and I'd looked at some places kind of even in like around the midtown area like mm. and I was just like this place is the size of my closet and it's five thousand dollars yeah I was just like no I, I can't justify that no I, I can get something that size in LA for barely more than I'm paying in Utah it's true and I love Los Angeles man like uh you once you start to realize kind of what it is, the different pockets of communities yeah. or whatever, once you have like a community of people, it's like, it's a wonderful place to live. I think um, it's expensive, but like, I don't know, money's finite. You can always get more. Yeah. I, I love this, the way somebody explained it to me right after I'd moved here is that it's the sun, the sunshine tax that we pay for. Yeah, exactly. And right? I was like, all right, I'll, you pay a little I like extra that. for the weather. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's, it's, it seems it's fair. I remember it. you <laughs> sending a, uh, uh, I can't remember who posted it or made it, but it was this, it was a map of the U.S. and every state was ranked on mental health and overall well-being, state of mind, so to speak. And uh, just kind of like red was bad. Then there was like lighter red, light blue, darker blue, blues being good. And uh, California was like dark blue. And Utah was dark red, and I was like, "Are you sure this wasn't a political map?" Cause it, uh, sounds it sounds like, like it would colors. be, yeah. yeah. But no, it actually was. Uh, <laughs> You've just watched Trump hold up that map. Dark, dark red, <laughs> dark, dark red, dark yeah. red. But I was like, "Nah, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense." I did. except for Salt Lake City, which is Salt Lake light is awesome. blue. Yeah, <laughs> light blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so once you got once you moved out here, what was what was the process like for you then to try to? kind of look at it as like i'm in a new city i've just got to kind of find my way into film and, and tv yeah you kind of got to start over like uh i had the luck of coming out of grad school right so i had like this what's the word i don't know i had this vessel to propel me forward into the city right i'd showcased and so i got reps across the board i had theatrical reputation re- representation that was pretty good not the best but pretty good and then really great commercial representation and I had a place and I had like this whole community from graduate school and the alumni or whatever. So I was like, okay, I'm walking into this great situation in theory. Right. And there was nothing wrong with the situation. Just like we said, it wasn't for me. So once I decided to leave, um, I had to come back here and I'd kept in touch with an agent that I'd met at showcase here. Um, small little boutique group, really nice people, but, uh, but small. And it was only, it's all I knew. So I was like, well, we'll give that a go. Cause I didn't know any, like as far as the industry stuff goes, right? I, I was sort of like, well, I got to find a place. So I, I drove a U-Haul from New York City to Los Angeles and found Ooh. an apartment. And yep, because when <laughs> I moved to New York, I like doubled down. I like moved all my stuff, yeah, my furniture and everything. And I got a realtor and got a like a real grown-up apartment. I did the whole thing, um, and I left. And so I had to like, well, shit. So I took all my junk back out here and I found an apartment in Studio City. Like a, it was fine. It was like across from a gas station, a super boring area. I just needed to get in somewhere, right? And uh, then you just sort of started the process of like, okay, so I'm in a new city. I got like a month's worth coverage of, you know, money saved or whatever. But I guess so I got a month to figure this shit out. And uh, so I just started diving in. I had an agent and hardly got any appointments, didn't book anything. So it's just that matter of like, well, how do I get where I need to be? And what do I need to do? And uh, one of the first things I booked was the Waterworld stunt show at Universal Studios, which I'm still a cast member of. So I do stunt work as well. And that was a real entry point. I had this really great gig with uh, this amazing company doing the stunt show there. It's Which it's just an awesome show. It's one it's of my awesome. favorite shows to go to. Yeah, <laughs> and it, everybody there is legit. The company that runs it is amazing. And uh, so I met a lot of people that way. It's just who you know. You meet people and then you just start working and, and pounding away at stuff and sending out emails. 
it's a hustle. I mean, acting is not that different, I'd say, from like door-to-door sales. It's just a matter of yeah. like, you got to contact people, you got to pitch your product, and you got to find someone that's going to buy. And in this case, your product is you. It's your person and mm. the skills that you possess. Um, so it's a lot of just like, hey, I have this. Are you interested? Cool. Hey, I have the cool. Lots of no's until you finally get a yes and then you capitalize on that yes. And you start getting little things here and there and self-submitting for projects as often as you can. And it's a real, it's it's freelance in a way that I don't think people understand. I, I've met a lot of actors and stuff that have come to Los Angeles. I should put actors in quotes <laughs> because there's a lot of those out here. They're like, I'm an actor. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, and the first action question you get is, well, what have you been in? Which is a dick question from anybody to ask. But to some degree, there's something to that. It's just like, well, where did you go to school? Did you study? Um, I mean, you can't just claim to be an actor. You got to. You, I have a YouTube channel. You have to do something. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have to be. And so there's a. I, I hate that that same that kind of. Uh, what have you been in? Yeah, this. It's almost like not like a, a standoff or something but there's this you have to prove your worth in a way in yeah. a matter of like 30 seconds yeah, people are like oh wow so like what yeah what have you done you're like now i'm t- like trying to explain to some person i'm not even going to talk to in like a week i don't I, yeah. they're not my friend i don't even care but you're trying to like validate that you're an actual actor it's a funny not. thing because like when that conversation comes up in new york uh i'm an actor it's like oh cool that's great um and then it turns into a conversation about plays or what's on broadway or whatever mm. but in la it's like everyone and their dog is an actor, actor huh? so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gross and i'm like no like really like i have the mfa <laughs> i've been on stuff um so you try to avoid that conversation i generally just try to avoid it but, same but uh <laughs> every night i get picked up at meltdown like i i put my pin near the tattoo place people are like oh just get some ink i'm like yep but i don't want them to be like so, so do you do comedy no, I don't, I yeah, don't, don't want, want into that conversation. The Uber driver probably does, too. He's probably got a <laughs> script that he's ready to give you. Like, check out my script. And I get that. Like, L.A. is a hustle, right? It's very broad and confusing. And getting a pinpoint on what direction you need to go is hard. I'm lucky in that I've spent a lot of time since, you know, I went to college for acting. And then I spent years in New York and L.A. And then I went to grad school. And then, so, like, I've made a lot of mistakes. Um little ones you know but i've i've been in all the rooms so i've seen i've seen kind of how it goes and i've learned by experience what i think that i need to do and i try to to do that every day to to move forward right now i'm in a, a really nice position and like i mean for example extinct happened because of a million great things in the universe kind of lining up in a particular way but when i was in college uh i tried really hard to make sure that i was doing film and television stuff which I find that most theater programs or acting programs that are BFAs don't really have a cohesiveness between the film departments. And, and where I went to undergrad, BYU, has a really great film program. They yes, really they do. do. And a really great animation program. And I think a really great acting program um, and a musical theater program. But there's not much crossover. But I wanted to have film credits. So when I was in undergrad, I was trying to do film things, like getting involved with people. I got an agent in Salt Lake City and... And audition for stuff now and again. And through that, I ended up auditioning for a couple of local films, films that were being shot locally. And I met this casting director named Jennifer Buster, who used to cast in Los Angeles for a pretty big office. And then her and her husband uh, walked away from it, went back to Utah. Start, he started his own little production company and raised kids and stuff. And she was a wonderful person. And so I met her in like, what, 2005? 
fast forward to two years ago, um, I did this little movie called Forever Strong in like 2006. Yeah, right? the, uh, the Gary... Yeah, uh, the Gary Cole was in it. It's a little, little rugby movie about... Yeah. Uh, uh, Ryan Little... Uh, Ryan Little directed it. Yeah, he directed it, yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I met Ryan Little, Adam Abel, and Jennifer Buster, who... Uh, was Sean Astin was in that, too. Sean Astin, Penn Badgley, yeah. um, Neil McDonough, a bunch of people. Yeah, I was on it for a week. I didn't do much. Um, I think I actually wise. have a signed copy of it from Larry Galwicks because he came oh, yeah. in, he came and spoke about, at a right? thing that I did. Yeah. yeah, nice guy. So I did that in like 2005 or six or whatever. So you fast forward to uh, 2016, Jennifer Buster, um, Ryan, through some whatever, this is a long story, but basically Orson Scott Card's company, Tailswapper, teamed up with Ryan Little and Adam Abel's company, Go Films. Mm. To produce a film called Extinct that was based on an idea that Orson Scott Carden's writing partner, Aaron Johnston, had. That morphed into a pitch for a 10-episode television show. And it ended up being purchased by BYU TV, which has been trying to get into, at the time, things have changed there. But at the time, they just finished Granite Flats, which was a, a, a it's on Netflix now. Yeah, yeah. seasons, Success. And they wanted to do another one. So Jennifer Buster's casting it, and she shoots me an email. And she's like, hey, do you want to put yourself on tape for this? And that's because I met her in 2005 or six, mm-hmm. and she kind of liked me, and I kept in touch. And so, like, I mean, that's 11 years later. It's funny yeah. how that stuff happens. And you just Someone you met or worked with yeah. might even been very little, but down the road, they're like, they remembered you. It's for just the don't be a dick rule really exactly. applies. Yes. Like, uh, <laughs> um, never be a dick because you never know. And it, you shouldn't not be a dick because you want to get something from somebody. You should just not be a dick. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, one, so, no one likes a suck up or a, like a, you know, yeah. they just are phony. Like being. It's true. Face being, value. being genuine. It reads through when someone's just being totally. Fake. Yeah. So, th- you know, it's that long, long game of like, well, that's a long time ago, and then, but we're we're still friends, and and she gave me the opportunity, she gave me the entry point, and then I booked it, and then, because of that, you know, it's like you're you're jumping like back and forth off these walls, just up little ladder rungs, just a little bit at a time, moving up and up and up from booking like a tiny little something to like this week I'm shooting an episode of I'm Dying Up Here for Showtime. Yeah, I I, I just saw that when I was kind of looking through some of your your resume, and I saw that and I was yeah. like. Oh, I love that show. It's a and Jim Carrey executive producer. Jim Carrey executive producer. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm shooting three projects right now. I'm doing that. I just finished a a, a horror feature yesterday, and then next week I finish. I'm dying up here, and then the next week I'm on an Israeli television show. <laughs> so, like, that's really great. Yeah. Um, but that all comes from like you did one thing, and then you learn a little bit more. You learn a little bit more and you just, you have to keep pushing forward. I don't think there's such thing as standing still in Hollywood. There's forward or backwards. If you're standing still, that's the same thing as going backwards. If you're not making progress, you're not moving anywhere but backwards. That's my opinion on, on the industry here. You have to constantly be putting out energy that moves you towards your goals, your passion, or just something forward. Um, Cause time's going to go by anyway. So if you're waiting for something to come to you, you might as, I, I mean, it sounds negative, but you sh- you might as well quit and go home because that's the direction you're heading if you're waiting. Is you're just you're sliding back. You have to. It's sand tailings. You're going two steps forward, one step back every day. But if you don't take the two steps forward, it's it's back every time. So whatever you're working on, you've got to find a way to to use that to improve your ability, to improve your relationships, to um, improve your business, whatever that is. Find a way to use every day to do something to move forward i really believe in that positive energy that you get a lot of payback by 
by believing in forward momentum and constantly trying, which is exhausting, right? Like you think about, I think I always think about like knocking doors, which is something I've done a lot of in my life to, as a, as an undergrad and before for jobs or whatever, like you just, it's just one more door because you never know. Oh, yeah. Like that next one might be the one that buys your stupid knives. I never sold knives, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's the principle of like sales. Yeah. You just got to go. It's a numbers game in a way where it's like, it is a numbers it's game. A there, there's not an exact number, but say out of 100 doors, there'll be one. one. Yeah, not right? that that's it, but yeah. And the thing it, is, is it like in this industry, it might be 10,000 doors. So what does that mean? Well, you got to knock on 10,000 doors. Mm-hmm. Or you have to put 10,000 pieces of energy out, right? Like it doesn't yeah. technically have to be like asking somebody for a job. That's not what I mean. But it's... <laughs> hire uh, me, hire, hire me. me. 10,000 times. <laughs> it's about, I said it 10,000 times and he still said no. He still, <laughs> I'm in jail now. I don't know why. It's a restraining order. It's very strange. Matt told me 10,000 times. Um, I just think that there's something to that because I've experienced that in myself that like... and Because part of that I think is there's attrition. This is a really difficult industry. And so people that aren't willing to put in that kind of work will trickle off and they'll fade out like i said because you're only going backwards if you're not putting energy forward um and so that makes you you know i do think cream rises to the top i do think that if you're really good at what you do which is the one thing you have control over is your ability to be an artist you know if you think of it like woodsmanship because it's a craft like how good you are at making a chair is going to make you stand out is like he makes the best damn chairs so if you can be the best actor the best writer the best whatever that you can be and you're constantly working on that that's going to be fulfilling on its own, but you also need to be sharing that. Like right. if you're really like awesome in your living room and you really believe how great you know, no one cares. My cat <laughs> thinks I'm amazing. Little ones <laughs> always impressed. She's always impressed. Indeed. With what I do. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. I had a, there, uh, at the, at the U I was in the acting program up there for a year and, uh, we had this guy come from uh, Louisville Rep or what? Oh no, what is it called? The big, the big the, the the grad yeah. school. I know what you're talking Louisville. about. The, um, what's it called? Blue. I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, he he came from there. His name's Mike, Michael Leg, and uh, um, he was just talking like numbers, you know, because it is a good thing to like hear, especially like as, like being young actors, like hearing, you know. This is just to put things into perspective so people aren't because there's got to be like a fine line of being like incredibly optimistic and believing in yourself when it's such a like a long negative road. Um, but then there also has to be an element of you that's pretty realistic, you know, and you got to be like have a head on your shoulders and not like one day, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> they will see, you know, and so he's just giving off numbers and like this is how many actors are in New York. This is how many mm-hmm. of them are equity. There's like 40,000. 40,000 people who are saying that they are a professional actor, they're an equity member. There can be a union member who's a terrible actor, but like just generically. And so um, he's like saying that and he's like, and of that, only 4,000 actually got a job last year. And of that 4,000, this is like the amount of money they made. And it was like $5,000 off of acting. And it's like, you know, you start going like, Sure. Shit, you know, like this is you got to like really think about things. And it's have important. A, for, an we got that plan. information as an undergrad, too. And it's important for people to get that because they totally I mean, who doesn't want the job where you're like, I'm going to hang out with Jimmy Fallon on yeah. talk to him. And like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to be a professional actor. Good for you. You don't know what that actually means. And uh, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of slogging away. It's a it's a lot of swings and misses. And it takes a really particular kind of thick skin. And I, I see a lot of people crumble under that pressure. And I think that's okay. I mean, it's a little Darwinism. Like, 
Yeah. If you're not, if you're going to crumble, then this probably isn't for you. But also, that's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with you if you choose to walk away from this. Um, in fact, you might be a little insane not to. Yeah. Because <laughs> those of us that have decided to make this the thing that we're going to do endure a lifestyle that really goes against the grain of traditional Americana in a lot of ways. It's the Wild West out here. Like, there's no guarantees for anything. It could all end mm-hmm. tomorrow. It could also never happen. Um, and it all is just sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice to try and reach that yeah that yeah. little thing. The, out uh, of one the... thing uh, he said, this Michael A. guy, uh, he that I really liked. You you mentioned this is like a game of attrition, and I think he said those exact words, and it, it, that's always stuck with me because he's like, it, it's almost like those. Uh, I've never even been to Sacramento, but you see the like those what are those like little street car train looking oh, things, yeah. the tram looking are you thinking yeah, San Bart, Francisco yeah, thinking San Francisco you're thinking of San Bart. Francisco whatever the cable up, up that way. Yeah. yeah those those he's like it's like one of those and it's just it's over full with actors you know who are all on there and everybody wants to ride this you know fun fucking whatever and uh and it's kind of just like over time they're gonna people are gonna fall off they're gonna leave they're gonna they're gonna go and it's a matter of like the long term you know you're you're fighting to stay on this thing and um it really is a game of attrition and this is where he dropped more numbers he's like in the age range from 18 to like 25 there's this amount of actors can by the time you're 30 or 35 this amount of people will have dropped out just statistically or whatever um but it's kind of just this this uh, long road of like people. It's it's a hard thing, and if it was easy, anybody could do it. So it, it, that's why there's so many people who are like in the 18 to let's say just even 30 age range who are pursuing it. But in 10 years from then, like 80 percent of those people are probably not going to be doing it anymore. Right. You know. I get great advice from uh, a mentor of mine as an undergrad, named Timothy Threlfall. He's a uh, teacher at BYU and a professional director around the country. One of the things he told us, and I, I agree with this sentiment, is that like if there's anything else that you can see yourself doing, quit now and go do that. <laughs> totally. Um, and I agree. I don't think that you should waste your time or, or frankly, my time. Because it's <laughs> like, what are you doing here if you don't, uh, if you don't really want to do it? Because I do. So don't take a seat from somebody that's going to do it for real. It's just uh, it's not good for anybody. Right. The, the first person that really said that to me was actually on the podcast. I had uh, Jim O'Hare from Parks and Rec. And I mean, he's been, in, I swear, everything. <laughs> you see Jim O'Hare pop up in everything. And he was talking to me about how that was how he had realized that he needed to really pursue acting. He couldn't picture himself doing anything else. And as he said that, we kind of got into the conversation of, I mean, it was after I had moved back from Los Angeles the first time. And I was kind of down on my luck and didn't know what to do next because mm-hmm. I was in that mindset of like, I, I can't do anything else. This is all I n- really know how to do. Like, it's all I can see myself doing. And he was like, then that's what's going to drive you. He's like, if you know that that is the only thing that's, you know, in your future, you will find a way to get back. You'll find a way to make it happen. And that's going to drive you t- to be able to succeed. And n- it hadn't really clicked with me until he said it that way. And then I was like, ah, and it was just like the light opened up and it was, just full steam ahead at that point but it, it's it's something that I, I i've always wondered if the success rate would slightly change if the majority of people approached it and remembered that it's called the entertainment business it's called show business and i mean you talk about how you know always putting yourself if you're not moving forward you're moving backwards 
And I think that's no business would open their door without having a cash register, without without having just the basic necessities to move their business forward. And I think you see so many actors and writers and comedians. Yeah. That I got just, my whole shop, but there's no way people can even pay for it. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> they don't. Some, they don't have cool any type of asset to really move forward, and they don't. I, I just met a young actress the other day. She was out here with her grandparents, looking at her at her apartment. She was going to move in. I think even this week is what she had said. And I gave her the advice. She she was like 18, 19. and I was like, the biggest Props. advice I can give you is treat it like a business if you don't treat it like a business because the way that she had said it to me was yeah i'm gonna move out here and do modeling and acting we'll see how it goes and i was like that's a very la sentiment i think yeah, yeah. I, and that's what i told her i was like well just treat it like a business if you don't you'll yeah. fall on your face and she rolled her eyes at me and i was like enjoy your ride home in a couple of months yeah. she's 18 <laughs> yeah you know yeah. i don't i didn't i I know plenty of people who did like pack up and move right out after high school and stuff. And some of them did well because you spent enough time in a city. Um, time in a city means time knowing people, you know, yeah. it takes time to get to know people, which is why I think you got to double down on a, a location as well. But there's also something, I mean, I, I'm a big advocate of, of, of training and of education because that's the route that I went. And, and, and because I always believed that, um, I wanted to model myself after the type of actors I wanted to be. Mm. And those actors all trained intensely hard. They didn't just, and no offense to the, the girl you met, but they didn't just like move to LA to right. see how it goes. They, they studied. And back in the day, w the systems were a little different. Maybe they were the actor studio or the British actors that I love that all came up the same way that I did through classical theater and, and drama school. Right. Um, which is, I think why we lose so many of our American jobs to British actors is because of the training. Yeah, so Austin had considered going through that same conservatory at one point. Right, yeah. So, oh, I mean, but, but they also, there's plenty of good training programs here that do yeah. that as well. Um, but by proportion, British actors train more than American actors because there's plenty of people, I think, who are just like, I'm going to be an actor. And that's the thing. The thing about that is that it's possible to do. You can book a two-line co-star on Blue Bloods or something, and you don't particularly need to know how to do anything. You don't need to know... Yeah. Um, yeah. how like to, a to scan a Shakespeare ability. script. Yeah. Totally. You don't need to understand any pentameter to, to do a two-line co-star. You can be the right look. And so the industry also allows for that. So, On Law & Order, you just need to be able to be like, there were traces of semen. And you've got, <laughs> and you've got it. Which is the key <laughs> Sir, to I any crime. <laughs> I found the semen. <laughs> well, that's how all crimes are solved. <laughs> so, but Indeed. Yeah, it, it, I, I think the education factor of it, I mean, all three of us have, you know, found one route or another to be like, I mean, you went through the the master's program. That was the route that you went, you had to go through. Mm -hmm. Austin, at, at one point, Austin had even started going into the film area that I was in, in film school. And then you were even more like... That was, that was just kind of to like yeah, get that, a general knowledge. Yeah. And, be like, and I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything probably But then it was a hard left turn right back to like, like I need to focus on... Just diving into the yeah. deep nitty gritty of acting. I'd rather be great at one thing yeah. than average at a, a bunch. I think that's smart. I think that little bit of film education is smart. I totally. did a little of that yeah. in undergrad too, which serves you well. I mean, by the time you start working on film sets, like it's, I think it's important to understand what's happening because so much of work in film and television is very technical. Yes. No one cares about your process. <laughs> it's about like you, you that that you need to have done that all by yourself. If you're a true professional, you're going to show up to set, and that's all done, and you'll be able to hit your mark and deliver the performance. But uh, you got to understand all the thousands of technical things that are going on around you. And uh, one of the things I really credit Extinct for is I'd done, I felt a decent amount of film and television, but once you do 10 episodes of a show, 
and you're there all the time like it just like becomes so easy by comparison because you're like i've spent a ton of time with a bunch of cameras an inch from my face and just get better at it it's hard Practice. to do the the day rolls the the, the one yeah. liners they're almost more difficult in a way they you have totally to do are. more more work when it's like a full scene or a full episode or a feature but man it's tough to be that guy who like shows up and is like blah 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 and not sound it's like true. an idiot and, and like the whole set they like they've all been together for like months or yeah, yeah you feel like this outcast and they you're have just this like chemistry and they're it's all true bantering. you're the pizza delivery guy like in mm. real life it's like but you have to like your job is to service the rest of the story it's the messenger roles in shakespeare right king there's a guy in the courtyard great that's your line right but, but <laughs> no one on set is going to care about anything other than you showing up and saying it correctly right. and leaving and that those 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 are important everybody needs to do those and that's how you get started but they they are challenging because like you'll do that after you've been like well in high school i played hamlet or whatever and they're like cool you're pizza guy one today though. <laughs> so, no one cares so never have the conversation but uh but though i totally agree They're, those are challenging it's hard to nail it's yeah. always about type it doesn't really take a lot of acting ability i think the the people who are so good at it as far as like directors and writers who just have like an eye for making sure their their one liner their day roles are on point is the cohen brothers they always have the best like and i think the Oh, brother, where art thou? The the what's the bank robber guy when he comes in? Oh, I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, that's uh, a he, long he comes in and there's this movie, old though. lady who says like these two lines and they are just gold. They're so funny. Um, but throughout the whole movie, there's just these people who show up and they look like they are a real person who's living their life and they just happen to be captured for this one little moment and not like an actor who's standing there delivering a line, but like. Oh, I totally bought that that person was in this town and they just crossed paths and said this thing and you're like moving on. Yeah. They're, they're really good at, at those. No, they, they, they definitely are. And, I, and it's always, it's always great to kind of watch actors through the processes. Like I've kind of loved now really being on the backside as, as a writer and learning. Like I love sitting down with Austin. We'll be working on a project and Austin feeding me. And he's like, no, this is what an actor is going to be thinking during this. And this is, this is why we would write it this way. And, being able to build because actors have created such a long process, whether it is those day rolls and figuring out how to make that one line yeah. filter in or whether it is, you know, starring in a, in a show or mm -hmm. in a film. Yeah. I feel like in some of it's also to, uh, on the writing end is like not pigeonholing all the choices right. for the actors. Like, and they lifted the pencil with their pinky like this and whatever. And you're like, there's no, no choices, but, Giving something that an actor can totally make their own, even if it's just one line or no lines or something that's... It's tricky, though, because I, I would argue the counterpoint to that is that film and television, are, you know, it's a visual medium. It's a story in pictures. Yeah. So, like, uh, there, did you guys, have you guys seen the Spielberg documentary on HBO yeah. right now? So I have good. not watched it. It's you so should good. watch it. There's a really great part where they're you know, talking to Liam Neeson about um, Schindler's List, and there's a scene, like, early in the film, like, when he's, like, building up his business relationships before the before the story takes a turn um and he's in a he's in like a cafe in germany or whatever and he's smoking and like steven spielberg is telling him like smoke it hold it hold it hold it i'll breathe the smoke oh yeah out. i remember don't that move part. your hand down do it again don't move your hand down yeah and uh liam neeson like who booked the role by playing matt burke in anna christie on broadway Oh, huh. So I was like, where are they? Well, Spielberg wasn't in my version of the show. <laughs> what but, the hell? Uh, but, uh, you know, he's, he's, I told he, him 10,000 times. Fabulous like, actor. <laughs> yeah. 
Good but, call. Uh, ben <laughs> Thank Kingsley you. told him he's just like uh, oh, I forget the quote that what Ben Kingsley said, but it was some really great advice about how like you know he he trust him. You know, because and it looks amazing, you know, but so that's yeah. that's tricky because it depends on the type totally, of yeah, because there, there's and, definitely like especially that with Schindler's List where it has to be so specific. Where and there's like, other places in the film where the actors did their thing, you know, yeah, but uh, that's that's the thing, it's a story in pictures, it's not, it all depends on the format of the script. That's different than like. I'd be curious. One of Seth Rogen's projects where they're like really riding for the improviser to be like, this right. is the yeah, sketch yeah, of what yeah. we're going to try to do and we'll pick the funniest stuff. They're totally different types of things. Um, oh, shit. What was I going to say now? I forgot. Oh, I, I just, I wonder how much of it was actually written and how much was on the day. And it was like, now, now uh, Steven Spielberg's like seeing these choices in person and like what was written and what was decided and what made the film. Those are always questions yeah. I have. And I mean, you can pretty sure you can you download the script. Um, in a lot of like, I have yeah. friends that are writers and they get all the scripts for the the WGA awards and stuff. And so, I, you can throw them through them and then like these screenplays, most of them are visually detailed to it's like a novel. Um, uh-huh. And uh, whereas I compare that to a lot of like amateur screenplays that I've seen, that are just kind of like we'll figure it out when we get there kind of a vibe and. Uh, it, it's a good lesson to me to be like, oh, so when people are really at the upper echelon of this this game, they have the entire thing. They see it. They figured do, out. Now that yeah. may change in the director's hands, but they've written a visual story that is, is it's visual. Like they're telling the story in pictures. Like right, one of the right. things I think you run into a lot with with novelists or playwrights writing is that they want it to come from the voice of the actor, which is fine. I think it's great. But like, did you see Fences with Denzel? Yeah, you know that's a play, and and it feels like a play because you're not every, all the information you're getting is from speech, from dialogue. You're yeah. not getting it from the pictures, and so if, if you, that's the the primary difference between the mediums. Now they can be shared mediums, but yeah, I think I remember. I, I can't remember what book it was, but someone was mentioning might be Lawrence Olivier uh, was saying, uh, film is the director's medium, theater is the actor's medium, and. I can't remember which one was the writer's medium, but there's one that's where, like in film, it's definitely it falls to the director. Uh, there's so many things that have to be on point. The script has to be good. The director has to know what they want, and you have to have actors that are going to deliver it, and etc. But overall, it's kind of a director's medium. Actors are just a tool. Everyone's just kind of like a tool for them to paint this picture, which is a visual, you know, medium. It's a visual thing at the end. Of yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When Zach Bornstein was on uh, a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about as he wrote for Saturday Night Live last season, um, how they would really have to play up to that visual medium of even when they were writing, it'd be one thing when they were in the table read to have Lauren just kind of be like, and Keenan picks up the pencil. Like, that didn't play off. It was Keenan having to be like, I've got this pencil! And and actually showing and moving the scene along with that instead of just having just, this is the action and it just keeps happening. It was really making sure to show the audience what was happening so they were buying into it and yeah well you have to it's it's on yeah. it's on your tv yeah exactly <laughs> nobody's there <laughs> you don't see it happen it didn't happen you know what i mean can't just be implied so what what was the first show that you that you booked that kind of made you start to feel like all right this is this is happening like you mean like the first play i ever did the first, uh, first television like, show thing out here. i did well when i moved out here the first gig i got was a guest star on grim um which was super cool uh my that's the eli roth show right no Grim which one was which on one's eli nbc roth? eli roth did a short series called south of hell um 
It was a mini series on like Spike. It didn't really. That's not the. Yeah, there was a different one I was thinking of. Eli Roth. I, I know which one Grimm yeah, is. Yeah, Grimm is NBC. It was. was on for seven seasons. Um, I was on the sixth season. It was one episode guest and uh, straight up in Portland. One of my best friends lives there, so I got to hang out with him a lot. It was super cool. But that was the first like get that I got out here. Right before that, I'd just done a a three-episode guest on a show for CMT about NASCAR where I played a true person named Red Byron who was the first NASCAR champion in the history of NASCAR. It was a super cool story. And uh, I booked that and went to West Virginia for a month and with like the coolest dudes on the planet. Um, it was like it was such a great experience working out there and doing that. And I booked Grimm right off of that, which is why it goes back to my like you, the moment, the movement of like I'm moving, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna work on this, and we'll work hard. And I booked that off a of tape when I was in New York City because I went to visit a friend on like probably, I think it was Presidency Weekend maybe <laughs> actually that year. Um, so then I booked Grimm and. Uh, and that was my first network get. And that's a thing. Like, uh, you know, like no one really cared about the NASCAR thing. Like I cared about it, but CMT I didn't really have anything. It was like three episodes. And, and so it was, it was great for me. And I had a great time and I learned a lot and it was a lot of fun. But uh, as far as like credential work, right? Like, but getting a guest star on Grimm on NBC means something. So then I use that to get a new manager. And then, so I've kind of been doing this kind of like back and forth. Every time you get something, you got to find a way to leverage that into moving yourself forward. So Grimm was the first one. And then, uh, then little things started to happen. I did uh episode of colony. I did an episode of Nashville. Um, Fuller house happened, which was an awesome get. Yeah. Um, I, I know when that happened, everybody back in Utah that I was around freaked out yeah. that, you, that you got Fuller House. That was that was, the, that, was the, that was the big get that I remember everybody just like, Matt Bellows is going to be on Fuller House. It was so cool. <laughs> it was so cool. Like, I've never, that's the only sitcom I've ever done. There's not a lot of shows that shoot like that anymore with the live studio audience and everything. And it was like with these girls that we all grew up watching. Right. You know, like, they're like, yeah. Candace Cameron is essentially our age. Um, they all, you know, Andrea Barber and everybody. And, uh, and so like, you sort of feel like you already know them. I'm like, I hung out with you every Friday through my whole adolescence. <laughs> so when you get to set, you're like, what's up, Candace? It doesn't feel weird. And what's cool is on the flip side of that is that particularly her and, and Andrea who plays Kimmy Gibbler, they were the same way. They were like, what's up? Welcome. How are you doing? It was like incredibly welcoming and it's a real collaborative experience. Cause you know, it's, it's four days for a sitcom. At least they are. So the first two days are rehearsals, like a play. You're just working bits and getting rewrites and working the bits. And, and you're like working with each other, like, you know, actually acting yeah. versus yeah. here's your pizza, sir. Um, like it was a great part and uh, it was a lot of fun and they liked what I was doing. So they wrote me more. It was a super cool experience. And uh, the live studio audience is like everything you'd love about live theater plus like millions of dollars behind it. Yeah. Because it's <laughs> Fuller House and... The stage is where uh, Friends was shot and yeah, Fuller House the was shot. So it's like cool. history galore. Yeah. Dave Coulier was there one day just hanging out, telling stories about getting high with Bob Saget and coming to do <laughs> Full <laughs> House. Yeah. Like it was just, it was super cool. It was like everything that you would ever want that experience to be, it was. Um, and kudos to them for being so welcoming and cool. And Jeff Franklin, who's the executive producer of that, was also super cool. Like it was just cool. I don't know if part of that might be because it's Netflix. And so I hear stories about that being a great company to work for as a production because that kind of like, cool, you're, we like the show, go make it. We'll be over here yeah. when you're done versus 
networks that are sometimes a little they're more so, like they're so involved. They want their fingers everything. in. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's why. But uh, either way, all I know is I had a great time. I could do that every day. I if I could, if I could book a sitcom and just do that, I think that I'd just be the happiest person alive. Yeah, it's just making people laugh. And the whole the thing that's so cool about it is like besides what a good experience it was, is their entire objective is just to make people laugh. Like we're making a show, and like if a joke doesn't land, they will fix it until there's laughter from actual people without forcing it. And I'm like, that's amazing that your whole deal, because it's not about like, which sometimes I think can happen with improv. Look how funny I am versus yeah. I want you to have a great time. Yeah. Those are very different the types more of selfless comedy. Um, and they the really better. strive to do that as writers. And I, I was impressed by that because, uh, and maybe some of that's like, look how funny the joke is that I wrote. But that goes, that has to go through like five filters to get back to them. Ultimately, it's the immediate reaction of like, these people are having a great time watching our show and that's the goal, which I think is really cool. It's really giving and unselfish. Like on I'm Dying Up Here, for example, you know, if you've watched the first season, it's really like a dark, the dark side of comedy. You know what I mean? Have you read, did you read the book going into it? No, I didn't. I mean, I got a sense what it was about, but uh, I didn't know it was based on a book. That's interesting. And so you get, you know, these are, these are comedians that are ultimately, it's just strictly about, Love me, love me, love me, love yeah. me, love me, love me, love me, love. It's nothing about them, which is funny because you hear Jim Carrey talking that Jim and Andy thing about how he got started and with the belief that what I want to do is take their cares away. That's what I want to do is give them the gift of not having to worry by giving them laughter. Like that's a very, I think, different kind of a belief system for comedy than what you see happening in, You're right. in I'm Dying Up Here, particularly. Um, um, there's some really talented people on the show, and they're doing a great job. But but often, like those kind of comedians, it doesn't feel, which it's intentional, I'm sure, doesn't feel, doesn't feel good because it's like, this is just kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> you guys just seem like horrible people. The characters, not yeah. the actual actors. They're very nice. Yeah, they're, er, Eric Griffin is on the show. Well, I was on the podcast a little while back, and yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Now, that was when I dove into the show. I was like, I own the book, but... Haven't read it yet, and then I saw that the show was being made, and I knew what it was about. That's uh-huh. why I bought the book, and I was just like, "All right, we'll check this out." And it's it's yeah. a it's a fun but dark. Yeah, it's dark a show. It's, it's a bit of a bummer of a show. <laughs> it, it's but, uh, really the inverse of what like if you looked at Rock of Ages, what was happening. I mean, all of that's kind of like over like whiskey a go go area. Yes. Yeah, then you the just go side. down the strip a little bit more, and it was just the utter shit in hell that was going yeah. on at the comedy store and. It's funny. I mean, it's 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 always art is always a cultural reflection of what's going on. You know, that's supposed to Vietnam. It's uh, a lot of angry people trying to figure it out. And, and film and cinema at that time, you know, that's like peak Jack Nicholson and all yeah. those when films were dark and raw and pornography was on the rise and the norm in New York City. You know, and so comedy, I think, in that area really reflects the what do we do now in this post Vietnam, post Nixon world. Um, which is, I think, interesting to see kind of how the entertainment world and art is going to reflect what's happening now. Yeah. <laughs> just going to shut a, down. Which is a thing all <laughs> its own. Yeah. Um, as a system of coping, you know, like uh, pe- we use that as a way to cope. And I think back then people were very angry and the anger was coming through in, in film and cinema and comedy or whatever. And now I'm not, I think, I'm not sure exactly how we feel. We'll have to look back on it in 10 years and be like, oh, it's interesting that we made those kinds of things during that. Um, and I hope we all make it 10 years. 
<laughs> I hope that we're still here. Yeah, I really do. That's what we're trying to work through is just stupidity. We're it's just not trying actually, like, no one's really we're just trying angry. to stay alive it's at like, this point. Yeah. <laughs> Can you dodge? We're just hanging on, Kim Jong. <laughs> Leave us be. Yeah, and just don't make another movie about North Korea at this point because <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> I think that might tip the scales a little bit too yeah, much. Yeah, well, he's the only one that'll be able to see it anyway. That's true. Yeah, so. <laughs> Everyone else is just watching reruns of him, probably. Yeah, it's just, it's just their military parade on yeah, just rerun over and over. And over, and over, and over. <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> this is this, so this good. Is where, this is where they bring the big bomb by. It's my favorite march. <laughs> So one one other show I just have to ask you about your your uh, your spot on. If I remember, you you were doing stunts on it, but it was teachers that you were just yeah. on the the season finale. Yeah, yeah, teachers. yeah. I, I mean, it was act it was technically an acting gig, but because I do stunts and I'm comfortable with stunts, sometimes that leads to opportunities where they need an actor that can do his own stunts, which is ultimately just a budget thing. At the end of the day, we're like, can we get someone that can do both? Otherwise, you have to pay two people to be here. Um, which works in my favor because I can do both and I love to do both. I love fight choreography and stunts and all that kind of stuff. I have tremendous respect for that community of people. They're always like, like on, I'm dying up here, for example, there were some stunts and stuff on Monday and I was doing my own, and, but there were some stunt guys there. I just love stunt guys. I love stunt coordinators. They're always just super down to earth, nice people, mm-hmm. um, which in a big show like that, it's a real mixed bag of who you're going to interact with. But I always find that like, like on Teachers, for example, which isn't as big of a show. Um, but I just hung out with the stunt guys all day because we were working on the – we put that fight together that's in the show. And and the guy that was the stunt coordinator is a guy named Walter Scott. And he was filling in for his brother, who's usually the stunt coordinator on the show. But it was it was a blessing because Walter Scott, like if you IMDB him, like he did the uh, – he worked on all the Back to the Futures. Oh, like wow. E.T., On Golden Pond, like – like epic like the top of blockbuster cinema and he was stunt coordinating those projects so he's got like stories that are just amazing like about uh you know robert de niro he's telling us like just when he's in town comes over to his ranch and rides horses (laughs) and he got into the industry because he was a cowboy like in real life you know worked on ranches and stuff and he had some friends that he's like harrison ford's age like that era when people had like contracts at warner brothers yeah. And so he knew people that were getting some work as cowboys riding horses and stuff at Warner Brothers. So he got on there and then ended up with this epic, long, glorious stunt career because back then That's he knew incredible. how to ride horses and he was a nice person. He's still a nice person. He walks like he's been through a thousand fights and horse falls. Um <laughs> But teachers that day, I mean, like it was a funny episode. If you watched the episode, yeah, I, yeah, I had to concept. binge through because I just had uh, two of the Katies on the podcast. A few yeah, ago um, and they they were all really nice. Like it was the season finale of that yeah. season, so my day there. And when you're kind of coming in, we've talked about this, and like it's a one day capacity. I'm just here to to do this fight and to com- this comedy bit. Um, you're really just there to facilitate what's going on, and they all seemed very tired. They all seemed like they'd been working on their 20 episodes of the season. And yeah, which they, they were ready to take a break. <laughs> so it was that kind of a day where like everyone was like in good, like we're going to finish it. Blah. But it's like the last mile of a marathon. Right. Sort of what it felt like for them. They were nice. They were cool. But um, I just spent most of the day hanging out with Walter Scott and asking him questions about Back to the Future. And like he was there when Eric Stoltz was originally Was cast. still Marty. Yeah, he was there for all that. It was crazy to hear like, inside i wish i remembered it all but uh 
that that's incredible. Plus, th- their set's kind of a fun set to go to as it is because it's actually at an old yeah, elementary it's an old school, school, like not far from here. Yeah, it's just yeah. in Woodland Hills. It's yeah, super close, and it's an old elementary school, which is weird that it's just shut down. And, yeah. Um, but when I when I pulled up to their set, it was weird because I'd been binging through it. They'd been on the podcast right before the first season came out. And that was just a phone interview. And so when they invited me to set with the second interview, I was like, cool. And like pulling Great. up and seeing that iguana <laughs> there. Yeah. It was the weirdest, the weirdest thing to just pull up and have the iguana in Franklin Middle School yeah. was just, or elementary. And it was just, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool, fun set. And they're, they're a lot of fun to I to really work admire with. what the Katie Dids pulled off. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, it's a really great story. Those girls about work Some hard. women who work their asses <laughs> off with their improv and their sketch comedy troupe in Chicago. And look at them now. They're picked up for another season, you know. Yeah. And uh, they work really hard. They're all very funny and talented. And uh, I think it's cool that they've, they've pulled that off. Um, it's, it's a really great success story. But it's one that comes out of slogging through the Chicago comedy scene, which still today is like a really difficult I don't know any comedy scene that's not difficult. Yeah. Like they made their way from there to TV land, which is I think super cool. So yeah, and and with job. with amazing showrunners too. I mean Ian Roberts on that with them. I mean he was one of the founders of UCB and yeah. showran uh, Key and Peel. So I mean yeah, it's they they have quite the story. They it's, they do. It's, it's, it's a really show. great like grassroots success story. Like they and just I, worked really hard. Yeah, and I, and I honestly think it's one of the funniest shows on TV that it is more funny. and more people need to be watching. Yeah, I agree. People should watch it. Watch Teachers. Not because I won't be on it ever again. But <laughs> who who uh, knows? You you may. I'd be surprised if <laughs> <laughs> they bring back the one-eyed, one-armed soldier <laughs> from the flashback episode. <laughs> Technically, I'm not alive in the present day. Yeah, that's. So I guess that's true. They'd have to go back to the 1940s. <laughs> Multiple flashbacks. Or I'd have to come back as a grandpa, which wouldn't be me. <laughs> I'd have to get somebody else to play the part. So Matt, I'm glad that we were able to catch up. Um, me too. It, it's been so much fun watching your watching your career. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So I, I know uh, I want to say it was like the South Valley Journal or like one of those local. Yeah, I got in a the, few local papers yeah, back home, but I got my one mom back home, had, yeah. had actually called me and she was like, "Didn't you go to school with Matt Bellows?" And I was just like, "Yeah, he's he's starting an extinct right now." She's like, "Yeah, they just yeah. wrote some article about him that's like from South Jordan to Hollywood or something like I that." I think that's I what like, it said. I was like, "Yeah, it's true." <laughs> it's I mean, it's definitely like I've never felt like the community at home was anything, but I hope he makes it right. Yeah. I felt like that way since high school, like since doing theater in high school, like I've always felt like, I, I don't know how other people feel like where they're from, but for some reason where we're from, like it just always feels like a place that is got your back. Like it feels like home it feels like Mayberry in a way. It's like, it's just, yeah. it's people give a shit and they care and they follow you and, and they're supportive. And, uh, and it's always felt that way to me, and it feels that way when I go back totally. home. I'm happy to see people when I go to the gym when I'm at home and I run into people. It's always, it's always cool, and uh, yeah. I'm one of those lucky people that came from a, a loving family and a really wonderful community. Went to a great school, and and uh, I know that's not the case for a lot of artists because they come out of a lot of people get into the arts because they're. There's came out of some conflict or whatever, <laughs> but uh, like I, I came out of a really lucky, fortunate situation where people just encouraged arts and, and encouraged and a family that exposed me to arts and and they're probably like, damn it, why did we do that? Because yeah. <laughs> why did we, we expose him up. to like I, syringes and IVs and <laughs> dental 
things. Here, part part of me thinks that my family is like, why did we raise him on a living color, The Simpsons? Yeah. And she's it's like, that like, became it's ingrained your fault. in me. And- you shouldn't have taken me to the theater. I shouldn't have watched art house movies he on was Sunday exposed nights at a young age. But uh, but I've always felt so. It was really cool to do Extinct for a million reasons, and and God willing, somebody else picks it up since BYU TV decided to go a different direction. It was a disappointing, disappointing. Yeah. I wasn't surprised. Um, I felt like it was coming, but uh, but hopefully we find a new home because uh, there's a lot more we could do. And if we don't, then the the good part is it was a great ride and. A lot of people really love the show. I mean, I get emails from people in France and Russia and stuff. I mean, not emails, but like Facebook messages and stuff, which is super cool because we're not even so supposed rad, to be yeah, being seen over there. Right. Which makes <laughs> begs the question, BYU TV, where's the international rights residuals, bro? Because um, they didn't sell it over there, so it's being pirated. But uh, but it's cool that it's being pirated in a way because it, the people are anxious for that kind of content. They right. want to see it. and. You're not. I'm not getting like notes of this sucks. You suck. There's notes of this is so cool and <laughs> thanks so much kind of a thing, which is really cool. Like I don't know if, I, if that happens all the time. I don't know. But uh, Pierre, way across the way, is he's, but he's it's it. totally <laughs> been cool, man. Like Africa, even like it's 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 exciting to see that people care about what you do, because like that you know Fuller House group and the idea of Jim kind Jim Carrey's philosophies of like doing it. For for the benefit of other people and not just for the benefit of yourself. That's a an important thing to keep in perspective mm. because it should keep you a little bit humble. Um, you still want to like, of course, I still want to be madly successful and buy all of you Maseratis. I want that for all of us. <laughs> but uh, a la Entourage. But if that doesn't happen, then the best thing I can do is hopefully leave a, a positive impact somewhere through the work because ultimately, you know, if art just happens alone, it's like if a tree falls, what's the point? Like, But if it needs to impact... Hopefully for the better, whether that means it's challenging a point of view or it's reinforcing a point of view that brings positive results. Um, it should it should have an impact. So it's cool that some of the stuff that I did this last year did that for some people, I hope. Yeah, I, I, I think it definitely has. And I'm excited to see what what's next. I look forward Me to too. seeing Hopefully this season year. of I'm Dying up here. Yeah. So it. it it, it, it's it's just great to see you just continually succeeding, and I know I know everybody back in Utah, like you said, is continuing to root for it. What up, Utah? Yeah, <laughs> totally. And uh, hopefully, I'll be back there for work now. There's there's Utah's a wonderful film community. I, I worked on a I did st- help with the stunts on a film that they shot there called Hereditary, which is yeah, supposedly yeah, Austin's in that too. Yeah, yeah. The, the reviews are mad. I haven't mm-hmm. seen it yet, but. Uh, we were trying to get a screener, and this year, since I wasn't actually like accredited yeah. press, we try and get Ari on the. Yeah, we couldn't. We couldn't really get much. But. Yeah, but it's a great film community there. So it, it's being it's being held did, this generation's exercise. I yeah, uh, I, I worked fire safety on that. There's a, a spoiler alert. There's a big. Uh, it's in the trailer. Yeah. It is. I couldn't believe they put that in the trailer. I'm I didn't. Like, I don't know who it is. Climax. Though, so I, oh. It's Maybe a, don't say who. It's an important but. character in the show. <laughs> um, but I I participated in that process which oh, is cool. a team effort to light someone on fire so <laughs> i do fire go safety. team yeah. go you're team. on fire <laughs> i'm on fire put them out prep them undress them dress them it's, it's a whole thing to make sure they're safe and, and alive and covered in goop so where can everybody find you on social media and stuff if they want to if they want to keep following totally uh so my instagram is matthew bellows just my name is with two t's matthew bellows uh twitter's at m flynn b m f l y n n b um, those are the best ways. You can go to matthewbellows.com and connect with me there and keep up to date with news and find all my social media and blah, blah, blah there. 
which I probably need to update because I'm dying <laughs> up here is not on there yet. Um, got to update with my sweet mustache on the show. I have a sweet handlebar mustache. <laughs> oh, nice. It is rad. Um, got to keep the Insta fresh. Yeah, it's super sweet. So, yeah. So check me out there and say hello and I shall say hello back. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, thank you for, for making your way over yeah. here. I'm, yes, I'm glad that we were able me. to... Uh, to yeah. connect again after 13 totally. plus years. Yeah, keep so. in touch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, it won't be another 13 years now. I so. don't think so. We should at least be half that. Yeah. Let's uh, make it 16 and a half. That, that'll minimum. work. Minimum. <laughs> I'm sure I'll see you before then. If you guys are ever performing or whatever, let me know. Yeah, we, have, we have a sketch show coming up actually at, uh, at About a month. Melt. A month from today. Yeah. We'll make sure so. you let me know. Yeah, we de- definitely will. Yeah. So we still have a long way to go to get it ready. But, uh, we got, well, you got a month. It's, we, got, we got a month. I'm, I'm confident in it. Yeah, but we've written enough stupid stuff so far for it. So. There's got to be something good in there. Yeah, there will be one laugh. There'll be at least we'll one all, laugh. If that's all we get, that's there that's will worth be two it. if I attend. Yeah, <laughs> ha, ha. <laughs> you're like, all right, so you guys, yeah, Carlos is here. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Matt. Thank you.